Okay, we are continuing our study in our church's doctrinal statement, which is the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And after about 15 years, we're on chapter 32, the very last chapter. And so we spend a long time, um, I'm not sure how many messages there are, Caleb. Between five and six hundred messages, yeah. So five or six hundred Sundays. Um, and of course, you remember everything that was said during all those Sundays, right? Those of you who are here, I think the Stokes are about the only ones besides my family who have been here all those years. So anyway, um, we're now dealing with the 32nd chapter, which deals with the last judgment. And we've been looking together at paragraph one. And paragraph one deals with the certainty of the day of judgment. Paragraph two deals with the purpose of the day of judgment. And then paragraph three deals with the timing of the day of judgment. So we're considering together then what is uh, known uh, in uh, theological circles as eschatology, from the Greek word eschatos, which is the word for last. In ology, which is the study of, eschatology is just the study of the last things. That is, what's going to happen in the end. One of the things that we understand from the Bible is that uh, time is not timeless. That uh, history has a uh, termination point. It has a goal. And it's not going to go on forever. Uh, this world and this universe isn't going to just keep going on and on and on and on forever. Uh, God's going to bring it to an end, and he's going to bring it to an end in his time. So um, what we talked about back in chapter 31 was personal eschatology. That is what happens to particular individuals when they die. And then chapter 32 talks about, of course, the general judgment. So let's read paragraph 1, the certainty of the day of judgment. We'll review where we've been, and then we'll pick up from there and go forward. Um, so the certainty of the day of judgment, paragraph one, God has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the father, in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. So we have been considering together the three major ideas in that first paragraph. And previously we looked at the one sitting in judgment, and we saw that the judge of all the world at the end of the world is going to be Jesus Christ. It isn't going to be God the Father. It isn't going to be God the Holy Spirit. It's going to be Jesus Christ. And then last time we considered together the persons being judged. And we looked at the fact that the apostate angels are going to be judged. And we considered together passages in um, Jude chapter 1 in verse 6, 2 Peter 2, 4. And 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3. And so the first class and category of persons that are going to be judged on the day of judgment are the fallen angels. Now, we talked about the fact that no animals are going to be judged on the day of judgment because they're 
they don't bear the image of God. They don't have moral capacity. Uh, they don't have eternal souls. And therefore, they're incapable of incurring uh, the guilt of sin. And so they, when they die, uh, they just simply cease to exist. Their souls are annihilated. It's not the case with angels or with humans. We are eternal beings. That is, we have an eternal existence. And we also have moral capacity. And therefore, we will be those who uh, face uh, judgment on that final day. So, uh, in considering the persons being judged, as I said last time, we looked at the fact that it would be the apostate angels. Now, today, we want to consider together that the second category of beings that are going to be judged on the day of judgment is all persons who have ever lived upon the face of the earth. All persons. That is, this is going to be a universal judgment. Every man, woman, and child that ever has lived or will live upon the face of the earth will appear before God on the day of judgment. It says in our confession, all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ. And to what end? To give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds. So all persons who have lived upon the earth are going to appear to give an account of their thoughts, what went on in their head, their words, what came out of their mouth, and their deeds, what they did with their hands and their bodies. So it's going to be a comprehensive judgment of all people, and it's going to be a comprehensive judgment of all acts of those people. So 100% of the people are going to be judged for 100% of what they did. All right, let's look at some scripture passages to support those assertions that are in our confession. And first of all, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Now, uh, we're just going to kind of go through these in the order that they appear in the scriptures. Um, Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> and we're going to uh, look at verse 27. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27. Jesus is um, apprising people of the cost of following him. Um, he says in verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Four. Whosoever will save his life, that is, save his life for himself, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, that is, give up his life in following me, the same shall find it. Verse 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now here's our verse, verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And our memory verse dealt with that. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. So Jesus is very clear. He's going to come back. Every person is going to appear before him. And every person is going to be judged according to their works. The next passage we want to look at is Matthew 25. Verses 31 to 46. <clears throat> 
And we'll be uh, going back and looking at these passages again from various perspectives, but want to introduce them to you today. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. <clears throat> Once again, we see this judgment takes place at the second coming. Verse 31, Matthew twenty-five, thirty-one. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, once again, describing that same event as in 1 Thessalonians 4, where our memory verse was. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee? or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was an hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not unto one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So here we see once again that all nations, all people without exception are going to be gathered before Christ and there's going to be a disposition of each of them individually based on how they behaved while they were here on earth. And the totality of that group is going to be divided and they are either going to uh, depart into everlasting punishment or they are going to go into life eternal and there are no other locations or dispositions of these individuals. And those conditions are fixed, and they are final, and they are permanent. And so, once again, we see a universal judgment of all people without exception um, at the end of the age when Jesus comes back again. Okay, a third passage we want to look at is Romans chapter 2. The book of Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 16, 
Well, we won't start at verse 6, though that's the relevant passage. We'll start out at verse 2. Romans 2 and verse 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So he's starting to talk about the judgment of God. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So every human being is included here without exception. And then the two classes. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, Upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many of us sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many of us have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now notice in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So, clearly Christ is the judge. All men are the objects. Their works are the focus. And their disposition is either to eternal life or to indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. Another passage we want to look at is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're just surveying these passages and seeing the frequency and the fullness with which the Bible reveals to us the uh, universal judgment by Jesus Christ of all people without exception, according to their works, which results in their eternal disposition in heaven or in hell. Second Thessalonians 1, verses 5 through 10. We'll start out at verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 1. Got it? Good. Okay. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And we'll start out at verse 4. He says, So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. 
which is a manifest token, notice, of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to those that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And so, once again, we see here that there are two classes of people. There are those who have exercised patience and faith in the midst of persecutions and tribulations for Christ and his cause. And then we see there are those who were the persecutors of the people of God. And we see that when Christ returns, He's going to visit uh, vengeance in flaming fire on those who did not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to those who believed, they will rest with God and will enjoy uh, eternal blessing uh, with him for all of eternity. And then 2 Timothy, you're in 2 Thessalonians, just 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy goes right next to that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is giving his final charge and instruction to Timothy, who was uh, a pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he is um, uh, giving him instructions before Paul dies. And he says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ... Notice, who shall judge the quick or the living, the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So by way of passing, he says to Timothy, there's a day of judgment coming. God is going to judge the living and he's going to judge the dead. Just because someone has died doesn't mean they're going to escape judgment. Those who are alive on the face of the earth and those who are dead. Uh, the dead will be resurrected, the live will all be gathered, and this will all occur at his appearing in the inauguration of his eternal kingdom, and um, there's going to be a general judgment that's going to occur. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, we have a, a, two more passages to look at. Second Peter, so just right after Hebrews is James, and then Second Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. It's an extended passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 13. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which, that is 1 Peter and now 2 Peter, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, 
that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, speaking of the flood of the original earth. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now, the ones you and I are living on at this moment, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, that is his promise of his coming and his judgment, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's allowing time for salvation. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless." So these are passages in the Gospels and in the Epistles. The final text we want to look at is in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15. Now here we have what is called... Um, the judgment of the great white throne, it's the same as all the other judgments we've been reading about. It's no different. The only thing that is different about this passage is that it tells the piece of furniture <laughs> that Christ is sitting on when he passes uh, the judgment that we have been previously been reading about. Notice Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. Of course, that's Jesus, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Notice once again, the judgment is according to works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then chapter 21 goes on and describes the new heavens and the new earth and those who occupy it. Now, these are not all the passages by a long shot 
that deal with the issue of the final judgment. And what we see is that there is a tremendous number of passages that have a tremendous amount of length and detail to them uh, that describe to us this second coming of Jesus Christ, the people that are going to be there, the one who's doing the judging, and of course the issues that the judgment has reference to. And what we see uh, that the cumulative effect of all these passages are is to convince us that no one is going to escape this judgment. Everyone is going to be there. All people who have ever lived or are currently alive on the face of the earth when Jesus Christ comes back, they are all going to appear at this judgment and they are all going to be evaluated. All right. Um, are there any questions at this point? I have lots more to say about this, but if there's something that popped into your mind while you were going through those passages, I want to give you time to ask it while it's fresh on your mind. All right, well then, what we want to do then is move on to the process of the judgment. Now, we're going to go back and look at some of these passages uh, again, but we want to recognize that we're not going to just appear before the tribunal of Christ, though we're certainly going to do that, but it says specifically we're going to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done, whether good or evil. So the question is, is, Okay, we know who's going to appear. The angels are going to appear, and all people without exception are going to appear. And then what's this judgment about? It's about a giving an account of our conduct. And it's about receiving an outcome based on that conduct. Now, if we saw anything as we looked at these passages, we saw that this judgment is not only being done by Christ, it's not only a judgment of all people, but it's a judgment based on what they did, and based on what they did, they either go to heaven or they go to hell. Judgment is according to works. That is abundantly clear. And so um, that disturbs a lot of people because they say, well, I thought that salvation was not of works. That salvation was by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It was not of yourselves. It was not of works. It was a gift of God. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So what's this business about judgment being according to works? Wouldn't God look at us and say, did you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior or not? If you did, you go to heaven. If you didn't, you go to hell. Wouldn't God be examining whether we had faith? or didn't have faith, and have that as the basis of judgment? Well, the answer is, of course he would. And that's precisely what he's doing. But what he's doing in order to evaluate whether we had saving faith or not, is he is looking at the evidence of saving faith, which is always, and without exception, 
a life of good works. You remember what James said in chapter 3. He says, faith without works is dead. And the kind of faith that is saving faith always produces a transformed life and a pattern of obedience to God in that life, which is radically different than the pattern of life we lived before, which was a life of defiance of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to go into this more in more detail next time because we're out of time, but recognize that our faith is demonstrated by how we live or by how we don't live. There are many people who claim to have faith and yet they live lives in defiance of God. And that's why Jesus says, not every man that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out demons? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Christ never denies that they did all those things. But he says, and I will say to them, depart from me, what? You workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, how do we know that these people didn't have a saving relationship with Christ? They called him Lord. They said, Lord, Lord. And they did works in his name. But notice what's characteristic of them. They were workers of iniquity. The dominating characteristic of their life is that they lived in defiance of God and his law. And therefore, it's obvious that they did not have saving faith. When Jesus characterized their lives, he characterized them as workers of iniquity. And it is the nature of true Christians, according to 1 John chapter 3, that those who are born of God do not go on practicing sin. And so you can simply look at the fruits of people's lives and if they live according to the flesh or if they live according to the spirit, if they walk in God's law or in defiance against that law, that's what determines and declares whether or not they had saving faith. Because, and this is the key element, justification is always and without exception connected together with sanctification. And one's Justification may be known by the fact that one is being sanctified in his life and behavior. And that's what God does. He just simply looks at the effect and reasons back to the cause. And on that basis, determines whether there was saving faith by looking at whether there was sanctification in the life. All right. We're going to look at that more next time. Let's pray together and ask God's blessing. Father, thank you so much for warning us that there's going to be a day of judgment. Father, you've hardwired that into all of our consciences. Father, we pray that you might help us to be fully prepared for that day, not by scrambling around to do a bunch of good things, but Father, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by repenting of our sins. And out of that faith and repentance, seeking to live a life of holiness and obedience to Jesus Christ, so that the fruit of faith will be found in our lives on that day. Father, thank you for your kindness and goodness in giving us a Savior, 
Thank you that it's on the basis of his blood and his righteousness that we will be accepted before you. For Father, even our best works are still tainted with sin. And we could never be saved on the basis of the righteousness of them. For all of our righteousnesses are tainted and they are defiled with sin. But thank you for the imputed righteousness of Christ, that it has no defilement, that it's perfect. But thank you, Father, that when Jesus gives us his righteousness, he also gives us a regenerated heart that results in new desires and new behavior and new life. Father, help us to rightly understand these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.